Well, good morning, Hope Denver. We are so excited to have you here this morning. Uh, my name is Kelsey Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you yet. And I just have a couple quick announcements before we get into the word for today. Um, the first one is that we are still looking for kids volunteers. Uh, we are hoping to open up our Sunday school classes really soon, uh, but we need everyone's participation to make that happen. Uh, one thing about having a small church with lots of children is that it takes almost all of us to participate to make that happen. So if that's something that you would be willing to do, we're trying to make it so that everyone only has to serve maybe uh, once every six weeks or so. So it's not a huge commitment, and it's actually a lot of fun to be in there. It's one of my favorite things is to be in that kid's classroom. So if, if that's you, if you'd be willing to do that once every six weeks, please get in touch with us. Uh, you can let any pastor know, but especially Pastor Kelsey, other Pastor Kelsey, who's not here today, but um, you can let any of us know, and we'll make sure you get connected with her. Uh, the other thing I wanted to announce is that we just started a new season of Hope Groups. And Hope Groups is such a special part of who we are as a church family. Uh, we believe that we should be living in community throughout our weeks with other believers. And so that's what we do here. We don't do a ton of events. Uh, we don't have a bunch of things that you need to commit to during the week for our church. And that's because we want Hope Groups to be a priority. So if you're not yet in a Hope Group, uh, please check out our website. Uh, we have a tab for all about groups. And you can go there and check to find a group that's great for your schedule. And we'd be so happy to have you. Um, and then finally, uh, if you would like to give to Hope Denver, we are receiving tithes and offerings on hopedenver.com slash give. You can go on there and give. Uh, there's also a box on the table in the hallway that you can drop checks in or cash if that's the way that you would like to give. Um, but thank you so much for your generosity towards our church. Well, we are in a series called God Is, and today uh, we are going to be talking about how God is able. God is able. And I think this is such a important word right now um, because we're living in a time that has left so many of us feeling powerless, uh, feeling helpless, feeling like things are really just spiraling out of control because there's so much going on. There's so many problems in our world that we as individuals just have very little say over how things work out. And that is hard, and we can kind of feel stuck. And if you're anything like me, you probably have had moments in the last 10 months or so where you felt really stuck. But something that's been amazing for me in my life is that I've found that I love Jesus more than I ever have through this difficult season. And I think that that's because there's something about when the walls around you, the things that you found comfort in, the things that you put your hope in, when those are slowly ripped apart, the things that make you comfortable, the things that make you feel safe, you find that Jesus is still there, right in the middle of it with you. And I almost picture uh, myself in the middle of a room, and you, you as well, you're in the middle of a room, and this past year might have felt like one by one a piece of furniture was getting taken out of the room, and then maybe a wall fell down, and all these things that made you feel comfortable and safe in your life, things that you never would have thought would have been taken away from you are slowly being trimmed off the edges of your life. But the thing is, is that Jesus is still in the center of the room with you. And as all those things get removed, you realize that you didn't need all of those things because he's enough. 
And that's what's so powerful about when we go through difficulty in life is that, that is, those are the times when Jesus can show us how very real he is, how able he is, and how present he is in our need. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, go ahead and turn in your Bible or go in your YouVersion app to Ephesians chapter 3, um, verses 14 through 21 is where we're going to be. We'll get there in just a minute. Just wanted to give you brief background on the book of Ephesians. This is a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul. And it's a little different than some of his other sermons, sorry, of his other letters, because instead of being corrective, which is often some of the tone of his letters, this one is much more prayer-like. It's much more of a prayer sermon. And he's praying this prayer over the Ephesian church. He's praying this prayer for them. It's a blessing. And the theme of this book is about God's eternal purpose. It's about the fact that God has this amazing eternal plan and that that has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ and that it's continuing to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ and through us, the church. So Ephesians is this, it's this book that's talking about the purpose and how Christ is this purpose and how the church has this purpose. So let's go ahead and start reading. We're going to be in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray as we begin. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this chance to be together, for the chance to remember what you've done to remember who you are and that your purposes are good and that we're involved in those purposes, Lord. Thank you that you're an able God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And thank you that we get to talk about that today. I pray that you would bless each person here with a sense of your closeness, with a sense of your deep and abiding love for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so going back to verse 14. So Paul begins this verse. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And the thing is, is we need to know what reason is he talking about because we missed that verse, obviously. So what he's been talking about for this last chapter is about the access to God that has been granted to us through Christ. He's been talking about how amazing it is, how incredible it is that because of what Christ Jesus has done, that we now have full, complete access to God, that we can go to him at any moment and ask for anything, and he listens. He's saying, how amazing is this? And not only that, but that we have a connection. There's, there's Jews, there's Gentiles, and before that, there was a divide. And he's saying, no longer is there a divide between Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ. We can all dwell together in unity before the Lord. 
And he's saying, because of this, I am on my knees. I am kneeling before the Father, praying for you, because I have this confidence that we have this unity with the Father and with one another. And when he says kneeling, that connotes an intensity and a passion. He feels incredibly passionate for the Ephesians to experience the fullness of Christ that's available to them. He's like a, a parent that just longs for them to experience the fullness of God because he knows that that's when their lives are going to be the best, when their lives are going to have the most meaning. And then he also says, he says, from whom every family, talking about the Lord, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so what he's saying here is he's saying that every family unit, every unit on earth that has a father figure, that has a father head in it, that that group derives its concept, its idea of fatherhood, its existence of fatherhood from God the Father. And this is different from what we're taught in a lot of trends now in the world. A lot of people think of God as being, we take human concepts and we put those onto God. We take the things we understand and we put them onto God. So we call God the Father because we have earthly fathers, and so therefore we take that and we put that on God. But actually, the opposite is true. What's actually true is that God the Father, he himself is the concept of fatherhood, and he gave us fatherhood in the flesh so that we could understand a little bit more of who he is and what he's like. And so there's this perfect, ultimate, heavenly father who we have who is so much greater than any experience of fatherhood we could experience on earth. And, and that is, he's given us fatherhood in the flesh to give us just a little glimpse of what that is. This brings to mind uh, Matthew 7, 9 through 11 for me, which is this. It says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So what Paul is saying here is that we can have confidence and joy when we pray because we are praying to a perfect Father who loves us perfectly. Verse 16, let's pick up there. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So God is able to give to us without limit because he himself is without limit. We cannot out-ask God. We cannot ask for too much of his spirit. He can meet us where we are, and he can answer any prayer that we throw at him. He never runs out of spirit to fill us with. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is what empowers us to stand firm in Christ when difficulties arise in life. Not only that, but something that's so amazing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit can actually transform our personality. The Holy Spirit comes in side of us, comes into our soul, comes into our spirit, and can transform our personality. So God made your personality. He made you unique. He made you beautiful. He made you special. He doesn't want to destroy the personality he created. But the thing is, is that our personalities are also tainted and marred 
by the things that have happened to us, by our sin, by our pain, by our bad experiences. We've had things in our lives that have caused our personality to be, to be marred in a way that doesn't reflect what God originally intended for our personality to be. And so the Holy Spirit does this amazing work of partnering with our personality to make it beautiful, to, to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> Soften out the rough edges, to smooth, smooth, that's the word, smooth out the rough edges. The Holy Spirit comes and partners with our personality and makes us more like Christ. It's a beautiful thing. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So Paul does this often in his writing where he, he f- switches between the phrasing of being filled with the Holy Spirit and having Christ in your heart. And the reason he does that is because to him those things are one and the same. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and having Christ in your heart those are the same thing, because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. These are, this is the same God. We believe in one God, three persons. And where Christ, when Christ dwells deeply in our hearts, when we're continually being filled with the Holy Spirit, we realize how very deeply we are loved. And I've seen this to be true very practically in my own life. I notice that when I'm mentally cluing in every day to Holy Spirit fill me, Christ dwell with me, when I'm, when I'm mentally and spiritually attuning myself toward the Lord, all of a sudden I am so aware of his love for me. I'm so aware throughout my day of how beloved I am. I'm so aware of his blessings. And likewise, when I don't start my day that way, when I'm not, my thoughts are so far from the Lord, I don't think about his love for me, and I don't feel his love for me. So a lot of times, reading scripture, prayer, attending church, we, we think of these spiritual disciplines so often in our lives as being things that we do to show God that we love him, things that we do to be a good Christian. And that's not wrong. We, we do those things to, to show God that we love him and to be a good Christian or a good person. That's not wrong. But actually, prayer and reading the Bible, and being in church, spending time with believers, actually, those things are how God shows us that he loves us. That's how God shows you that he loves you. And when you do those things, God's love begins to dwell in your heart more and more to the point where it just wells up and you actually can feel it. You can actually feel it. And so often, if you, so often in life, we don't feel it. There's, there can be times in life where we know mentally we assent to God's love. We've heard of it. We know it's in the Bible. We believe it. But sometimes our emotions don't fully line up with that reality. And so I'm going to read this verse one more time, and I want to pray that over you because I think that we have to contend for it in prayer. We have to contend for that feeling, that feeling of being loved. And I think we should pray, not only am I going to pray it over you, but I would challenge you, if you struggle with that, or have struggled at times in your life, with feeling God's love for you, of feeling that full acceptance, that full, 
aware, that full awareness of, wow, God just accepts me, and he loves me, and he is smiling over me. If that's not an emotion that's been familiar to you, I want to pray that blessing over you, and I want to also challenge you to pray this prayer. Say, God, help my emotions to line up with reality. Help my emotions to line up with reality. Because the thing is, is that because of the things that have been done to us, because people haven't loved us well, because we've had disappointments in life, sometimes those things can crowd in and leave us feeling unlovable or unaccepted or even condemned. And that is not reality. That is not reality at all. God's reality is that you are fully loved and you are fully accepted. And so as I read this one more time, I'm just going to pray it as a blessing, just like Paul prayed this over the Ephesians. I want to pray it over you. God, I pray that each person here would grasp and know how wide and long and high and deep your love is for them. God, would you drive away every little doubt, every sense of inadequacy, every feeling of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or I'm not loved enough, and Lord, replace it with reality, which is that you love them beyond measure. Do that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not done preaching, so sorry to mislead if you thought I was done. Um, But we're going to go back to... uh, Verse 19. Let's go back and start at verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what Paul is saying here is that God's love, that it surpasses knowledge. So in our church, we believe in knowledge. We value knowledge. We believe that it's reasonable to believe in Jesus. We believe that faith is reasonable. And we talk about that a lot, actually, from the pulpit. But we also believe, and we know from Scripture, that God's love goes far beyond knowledge. That we can know, but we can only know in part. Because God's love is so big that we can't possibly contain it in our human brain. We can't out-ask the vastness of God's love. We can't run out of it. He always has more and more and more to give. And he has unmeasurable grace for us. There's nothing we could do. There's no mistake we could make that he can't cover that, that he can't cover that with his love and with his grace. It's an amazing gift. Let's start at verse 20. Continue. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God is able to do more than we ever ask or imagine. I want to say that one more time because it's so easy to read past a scripture like that and just go, yeah, that's nice. But I want you to really think about what that's saying. God is able to do so much more than you could ask or imagine. So You can't imagine something too good or too great or too miraculous (laughs) or too amazing for God to do. And actually, not only that, but the things that you could imagine, your wildest dreams, the wildest, biggest prayers where you think, no way, (laughs) God could do 
beyond your imagination. He can do even more than that. That's crazy. That is unbelievable. But that's what the Bible is saying here. And that's what is true about God. His love, his ability to save and rescue you is beyond anything you can comprehend. His ability to work in the difficult circumstances of your life, his ability to work miracles that you've long given up on him doing, he is so far beyond capable. He's so far beyond able to do those things in your life. He is an able God, and nothing, absolutely nothing, is too hard for him. I want to talk about, before we end, I want to talk about the, a few names of God. Something that we've done with our kids in the last year or so is we bought a book, and I'm going to show you just because it's fun. Um, we bought a book called God's Names. This is it right here. I'd recommend it if you have kids. It's also just a fun book for adults. I've learned a lot from it. But what it does is it talks about all the names of God that have been mentioned in Scripture and how those names teach us so much about God's personality and the things that God wants to do in our lives. And so I want to teach you a few of God's names today. Maybe you know them already. There might be a few of you who know them. But these are so important because they're something we can bring to mind when we're praying. There's something we can bring to mind when we're facing a certain issue that feels insurmountable. These names can be a reminder that God is able in our circumstance. And so the first one I want to teach you this morning is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. This name means God Almighty. El Shaddai is God Almighty. This is the name that Abraham knew God by. Abraham called him Shaddai. And Abraham received an incredible promise from God. He was, received a promise that he would be the father of many, that he would be the father of nations, and that his descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. This was a wild promise. And God called himself El Shaddai, God Almighty. He said, I am God Almighty. You can trust that what I say is true. And Abraham and Sarah gave birth to a child in their 90s. See, God, he is not limited by natural laws because he made them. He made natural laws. So he is not limited. He's not limited by age or disease or sickness or death or natural disasters. God has a way of overcoming those. He can, he can make things that are supposed to be true not true. He can do that because he's God. He's El Shaddai. Another name for God that I want to teach you today is Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema. It means the Lord is there. The Lord is there. God is a God who is present with us. He's with us in our battles. He's with us in our struggles. He's with us every moment of every day. Whatever we are facing, he's close and he's near. He's Jehovah Shema. Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is with you wherever you go. There's this command here. It says, be strong and courageous, which can seem like a really unfair thing for God to require of us. I mean, this is a scary world. Watch the news for five minutes, and it's very unsettling. But the thing is, is God says you can be strong and courageous because Jehovah Shema is with you. The Lord is near you. The Lord is there right by your side. He's there. He's giving you strength. You don't have to be afraid. 
Psalm 139 verses 7 through 10 say, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God is with us even in the dark. The third name for God I want to teach you today is Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. So not only do we have a God who's with us and a God who's mighty, but we have a God who actually uses those things to our advantage. We have a God who provides for us, who gives us the things that we need, who when we call out to him saying, God, I need this. God, help me. God, save me. That he is the God who provides for those needs. This is the name that was used for God when Abraham went on to Mount Moriah to sacrifice Isaac. He went to sacrifice that son that God had promised to him. We just talked about it. God had promised him, you are going to be this father of a nation, and Isaac is that seed through which this promise will come. And then God tells him to go sacrifice Isaac. And he's thinking, what in the world? God, you told me that this was the promise. You provided this child in my old age. What is going on? He goes up onto the mountain, and guess what? God says, no, don't do it. Don't kill your son. And he provides a ram in the thicket instead. And he calls himself Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. God is a God who provides. He owns, the Bible also says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And what that means is he owns everything. If you look out across the world, all the things you see, people think they own things. They don't. God owns all of it. And he can provide anything you need at any moment, whenever he wants to. And so we can call out to Jehovah Jireh, who's our great provider. And finally, I want to teach you one last name. This one's kind of funny. My kids always laugh. They think it sounds funny. The last one is Jehovah Maginenu. Je- <laughs> I think I'm laughing. Jehovah Maginenu. This means the Lord our defense. The Lord our defense. The Psalms over and over say a, a phrase that I love. It, say, it says it so many times in the Psalms. It says, The Lord is our shield. The Lord is our help and our shield. Psalm 3 3 says this. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. This is something that I've prayed. I think I started praying it when I graduated college, and I started interviewing for jobs. And there's something scary about going out on your own and, and having to get a job for the, for the first time, a job you really care about, a career, that just makes you feel a little uh, exposed and vulnerable. And I remember praying, every time I would walk into a job or interview, I'd say, oh God, be a shield around me. Be a shield around me, Lord. And God, he is. He is our shield. He's this protector who just covers us. He just covers us with his love. He covers you. He can cover you when you have to go into a difficult conversation with someone. 
He can, go, he can go with you when you go into the hardest situations of your life. He is a shield around you. He is the one who defends you. And he doesn't just defend you physically. He defends your heart. He protects your heart. He defends your honor. He, he defends your sense of self. He's a protector beyond one you could ever imagine. He's the Lord, our defense. He's the Lord, our defense. We serve an able, able, loving, holy, powerful God. And because of that, we can trust him. We're going to end tonight, tonight, today, we're in the morning now. We're going to end this morning by taking communion. We're going to go to the Lord's table together. And uh, I think this is such a fitting way to end because the, th- the crux of Paul's message here, the crux of his argument is that all of these things, all these things that we've just talked about, that's all possible because of Christ's death and resurrection. It's all possible that we can go to God with this confidence, that we can call out to him with these names because we are now his chosen people through Jesus' blood. We are God's chosen, and we are chosen through his blood, and we have access to God no matter what. We have access to God because of his blood shed and his body broken for us. And so if you would go ahead and take out your cup that you got at the um, table on your way in, and if you didn't get one, um, you can go grab one really quick. I think actually Pastor Tyler will will bring you one. So if you need one, just put up your hand. He's going to come in in just a second, and he'll bring those down the aisle. Just lift a hand if you need one. We're going to go ahead and take, take this together and pray. Um, I'll pray, and then I'll lead us through, through uh, consuming the elements. Lord, thank you so much for your deep love. God, you didn't have to prove your love to us, but you chose to. You chose to pour out your blood and break your body on the cross so that we would see, God, that you so desperately love us and so desperately want to be close to us. And Lord, we come before you with all of our brokenness. We come before you with our sin, with the things that separate us, Lord. And we know, God, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Lord, there's not one of us here who's not desperately in need of all the grace that you have to give. And so we come before you as we hold the bread and the cup before you, God. We thank you. We thank you with all all the thanks that our hearts can muster, Lord, for dying for us, that we may be close to you, that we can have relationship with you, that we can call out to you for whatever we need. And that, Lord, when all the foundations are being removed, when all the walls are being taken out, when all the furniture of our lives is ripped away, God, that you're still there, Jesus, in the middle of the room, and that your arms are so open to receive us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.